Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slate Money is sponsored by Automatic, the connected car adapter that pairs your car to your smartphone. Diagnose engine problems, drive more efficiently, remember where you parked, and call for help after an accident. Save 20% with free shipping and a 45-day return policy when you go to automatic.com money. Hello and welcome to, I'm very excited about this, the podcast podcast. This is a meta podcast edition of Slate Money, which is ordinarily your guide to the business and finance news of the week. And we are going to talk about one or two things which happened this week. But really, this is a whole episode devoted to nothing but podcasts and the business and finance of the very thing you are listening to right now. And I'm Super excited, along with Kathy O'Neill, who's here and my favorite person, the blogger at mathbabe.org. You're my favorite person, too, really. <laughs> um, along with Kathy, we have the amazing Alex Bloomberg, who has two podcasts and a company called Gimlet Media. Yes, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And also, we have Will Mayo, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Spoken Layer. It's great to be here, Felix. So, before we find out even what Gimlet Media and Spoken Layer are, and before we talk about how all of this business works and talk about big companies like Apple and Facebook, I'm going to ask Alex a simple question, which is this, which is, if this is the podcast podcast, what is a podcast? Is it slate money? Is it the whole thing which you subscribe to and can have infinity episodes? Or is it an episode of a podcast. This is the same question people used to have about blogs. You know, Ariana used to say, I'm writing a blog. And you're like, no, you're writing a post. Oh. To me, when I think of a podcast, uh, a podcast is the individual unit. 
but I think it has no plural. Uh, so I think it's like uh, sheep. <laughs> <laughs> or buffalo. Yeah, 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 exactly. We are listening to a podcast, but you can also subscribe to a podcast, which is a whole series of them. Yeah. So you have a company called Gimlet Media. Yeah. And, and how many podcasts then does Gimlet Media have? So we uh, have two that we have already launched. We have a third one on the way, which launches in the spring, late spring, which we're really excited about. And then, you know, plans in place to sort of launch a bunch more over the next uh, couple of years. And the two which you have are your very own exploration of, well, I guess that one came yeah. to an end, right? Startup is no longer a completely recursive. You're now talking it's, about someone else. Yes, we are. So we, so the first podcast that we launched was called Startup. And that began as simply a way for me to talk about how I was trying to start this company and sort of try to get people interested in that idea. Uh, and so I started documenting the process of launching my own company. And the result was a podcast called Startup. And originally, I had imagined that it was going to be, you know, four to six episodes, I think, is what I started in the beginning. But then it sort of grew as the process became more interesting to me and other people started to be interested in following it. And so we just finished our 14th episode uh, in February. And we called that the end of season one. And we've been following another company and that is going to launch in late April, the season two, where we sort of document a second company. Excellent. So that's given me. Do you have that? You have you have Reply All, which is a podcast about the internet. Exactly. And then you have a third mysterious podcast on the way. Exactly. You're gravid with podcasts. <laughs> I did start a podcast company, so this is what you're meant to do. Yeah. Um, Will. Yes. You. Kind of, sort of, maybe not really have a podcast company? Uh, I would say, you know, we use a lot of podcast distribution in that, but I'd say what we do is not podcasting. We really kind of look at, some people may hate this word of kind of post-podcasting, is what is the experience after podcasting and how do you break that up into kind of a more on-demand experience for users as opposed to the longer episodic experiences. Wait, could, I'm sorry, what? Could you say, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Could you say a little bit more about what that looks like? Sure. So what we do is not create long-form original content. So we work with brands and publications that already create content like, say, Time.com or Ozzy or Smithsonian, and we take the content they produce like articles and posts and turn those into spoken experiences. So the average length of what we do is about two minutes, not 20 minutes or 60 minutes or um, that length. So, But with that, you're creating tons and tons of small bits of content. So we may distribute to, say, Stitcher or Audioboom as using the podcast format to distribute that from a technological perspective, but it's not to the user what they would consider a weekly podcast or um, that type of experience. And the source material is not necessarily a podcast. It's almost always it's text. Okay. So it's starting with, you know, something from time.com, say the brief, where they have 12 articles every day that they think are really important. So we turn those into audio and bring that to a much larger audience that they can't touch. And you. do you have a word for these things that you produce? So we call them segments. Okay. And a segment is like two minutes of a person reading a news article. Yep. Okay. So that is Spoken Layer, which has how many employees? Well, the way I like to say, we have about 17 people on our Slack. <laughs> <laughs> how many people do you have on your Slack, Alex? Oh, I have no idea how many we have on our Slack. I think we have 13 full-time employees right now, and then we have a couple more coming on. So mid-teens. So these are, you know, for very young companies, you're both very young, what, less than a year old, both of you, right? 
Uh, we've been around a little bit longer than that, actually. Originally, we, we had a sordid past, I will say. Oh, we tell me originally more. Started in the... <laughs> did somebody say sordid? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did say a sordid past. We, we originally launched the company as an iPhone app in 2012, actually, because we thought, let's go consumer-facing, let's build an experience and try to bring people there, but realized we could help brands and help publishers and reach a much larger audience if we went the B2B route and helped power people. Will Mayo, did you pivot? Oh, many times. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to come back to this question of like why this is happening now and wh- why people are suddenly seeing bucks and people are investing and people are managing to make revenue. But first of all, I want to talk about Facebook, which is mm. the business and finance news of the week. And they had a big conference this week. And one of the pieces of news that came out kind of surrounding the conference, even if it wasn't officially part of the conference, was this New York Times article, which came as little surprise, basically saying that Facebook wants to include segments, to use Will Mayer's term, in its app, rather than forcing you to click on links and go to crappy websites which don't work very well to read articles. It's going to stop sending traffic to other people and it's going to say we want to host these things whether they're videos or whether they're written news stories or whatever in the facebook app um because that's a lovely seamless form of distributing content which works much better than trying to faff around with links and web things when you know everyone has moved away from the web and into the app economy um kathy yeah what do you think of this and do you think that anyone is ever going to use the Facebook app to listen to stuff as opposed to just watch stuff? Well, here's what I think. It totally makes sense why Facebook's going to do this. And I think it's probably going to work. And I think that the two questions it brings up for me, besides audio, which is a separate question, it's also interesting, is like how the data that's being lost to the New York Times or whoever is providing this content, all that data... So I will jump in here and say that one of the initial partners of Facebook on this is BuzzFeed. And the one request that BuzzFeed is non-negotiable about is we need all of that data. We need to know what's working. We need to know how much people are reading, how people are interacting. We want as much data as you have on this because otherwise we can't make it better and we can't optimize. So I feel like... This is like the opposite of the podcasting system. With podcasts, you download them from the iTunes store and you know virtually nothing about how people listen to them, where people listen to them, how much of the podcast is listened to at all. And with Facebook, I feel like they're going to be perfectly okay with sharing all of that data because that's what the news organizations want. Right. And so that actually brings up my second point, which is like Facebook gives people stuff based on an algorithm. And so it sort of it brings up a large question of like, what is the editorial process going to turn into when you have you know, Facebook deciding what to give to other people. In terms of podcasting, like, since we have so little data about podcasting, like, how could that work? How could Facebook decide this podcast works for this person? It's it's much harder to do that. Alex? I think that's a really uh, important point. Like, it would be much harder to model that. I also feel like there's a, I mean, I don't know if you guys have found this, but I, I feel like people exist in different media consumption modes, and the audio consumption mode seems very different than the reading mode or the watching mode. And so I think it's sort of different use cases. I feel like audio, you know, we have a Gimlet Media Facebook page, but it is the most embarrassing page you could ever look at. Like, I, I am the CEO of the company. I've never been on it. 
I don't know who goes on it. I don't know what goes on there. And yet we've grown very robustly. Our numbers are listening numbers. And I think it's because they exist in totally separate things. Now, there could be, there is overlap. And we saw that. I remember seeing that at Planet Money when something got posted on the NPR Facebook site. It drove a lot of traffic to the podcast. But the point is simply that I believe that people consume this media in totally different sort of states and different use cases and different times of the day. And will people ever be sort of like clicking through Facebook and then stop and listen to a 25-minute podcast? I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like the thing that would happen. But do you know, Alex, anything really about the times of day that people listen to your podcast? Oh, no. What kind you know, because that's data which you just simply cannot get from Yeah, this is all just... My gut and feeling. and Now, Will has an answer to this question. Yep. So I think, actually, that's a lot of the differentiation that we look at in terms of the way we can deliver content. Because it's much smaller, you can get a lot more data around it, but also the native experience. So when we serve content on time.com, we have as much data as Facebook does. Um, so we know who's clicking, when they're listening, what device they're listening on, how long they're listening for, what their average session is. We get the same information that, say, Chartbeat or Google Analytics would because we're serving it natively on there. So it gives us, we can make some inferences about what's happening on those larger networks. And you can start working out what kind of voices work with what kind of content and whether even, I mean, could you could it ever get to the point that, you know, if people on Android prefer a guy and people on iOS prefer a woman, the depending on what device you're listening to, you actually hear a different thing? It could be, yeah. You know, That might even get to the point where you could record, say, one article in six different voices. One might be a young female voice. One might be an older gentleman. One might be more a scruffy. Pirate? A pirate. <laughs> you know, you could have kind of a comedic read. You could have all those different things. But also, things. I mean, I assume you, since it's on a computer, like you could also do like the print version versus the segment version, right? Mm-hmm. And see when people listen to one or the other more. Yeah, well, you, we also, everything is always done in kind of an on-demand fashion. So you go into a playlist, like you might go to time.com and hit play, and you might listen to the first three articles, find one boring, skip that segment. So again, instead of it being an analog 20, 30-minute experience where you can basically fast-forward and rewind through it, it's each segment is something you can control and skip and move so, around. So, So the question I have for those of us who are not spoken layer, which by which I mean you, Alex, is that... <laughs> Um, it seems to me that the news industry, if it embraces or finds itself pulled into the Death Star that is Facebook, is basically going to wind up where the podcasting industry is now. That It's going to be sort of at the mercy of Facebook in much the way that the podcasting industry basically has to do whatever Apple wants because Apple controls the distribution. Do you see this as a problem for podcasting? I mean, of course, it would be much better if we knew more data. But I don't necessarily feel like, like, I think of Apple as not something that is controlling me. It's just sort of like, they're like a gigantic cliff, and I'm a little bird that's like, staked out a perch in their cliff, and they don't notice me. Like, I think yeah. that's sort of what podcasting is. Like, they've, they make this space available, and like... On the one hand, you don't get any data, which is a bummer. And like people talk to Apple all the time and Apple doesn't respond because Apple's like, you know, the gods on Mount Olympus. But then you, on the other hand, you know, anybody in the world can put up a podcast. It's free. It goes right into their, you know, sort of ecosystem. People know where to get it. It's pretty simple to get every single person who uses Apple. You have access to every single person just with, you know, a cheap mic and a click of a button. So there's trade-offs. You know what I mean? And I don't know... Like, let's say you got data, but you had to pay, you know, some sort of 
fee to like be part of it. So I'm agnostic on sort of like, absolutely, I want better data. Like, there's no question about it. But you get a lot from this weird world that they've created. I don't know, do you feel that way? I think Apple's created an amazing audience and getting, you know, 800 million people on there connected in that way. And it's starting, you know, there's a couple chinks in the wall, like what they did with iAds of letting some, you know, geography information and being able to target people by email address or Apple ID. You can start to do some things like that. And I think they're finally starting to realize that while it may not be, you know, a $100 million business, which is still a decimal point for them, you know, it's, it's starting to get somewhere that they might start investing some more time in. So one of the most popular podcasts out there comes from Bill Simmons at ESPN at Grantland. And it makes, you know, a seven-figure revenue sum, as far as I can make out. But ESPN is such a giant monster that for them, a seven-figure revenue sum is eh, meh. You know, and they don't particularly care about it, and they don't particularly spend a lot of time trying to sell it or invest in it or make it better or anything, because it's compared to the multi-billion dollar everything else at ESPN. It's just a rounding error. And I feel like one of the reasons for companies like Gimlet Media and Spoken Layer to exist is precisely because if you're sort of really focused on one small thing, then you can do it much better than a big company yep. can ever do that one small thing. And is it not the case that you know, no one at Apple is ever really going to care about podcasting? I mean, I don't know. And I don't know if we want them to care. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure if I want them caring and then you know, being like, oh, this is a big revenue stream. Like, no more. We sell the ads. You guys have to live in our world. We take 30%. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily better. But as to the question of how big can it get, like, I feel like I should pull out my pitch deck. <laughs> If you look at the most popular podcasts, you know, Serial and Invisibilia, which were sort of dominating the, the top one and two in iTunes, those numbers on those shows and on some of the other big, big shows like This American Life and Radiolab, those numbers are an order of magnitude bigger than, you know, Bill Simmons and, you know, what we're doing and what most other people are doing. And we're far and away way more successful in our numbers than we thought we would be. So already we're seeing sort of vast differentiation between the numbers that people are getting. And when you're getting into the realm of serial and invisibilia, those are like many millions per month. You know, they're better numbers than popular cable television shows. They're, they're close to sort of network numbers. And how did they get there? And how did this podcast become something that millions of people started listening to because historically you know i mean podcasts have been around for a long time and no one really knew how to subscribe to them and it was a pain in the ass and it all involved rss and dedicated apps and you had to sync things and yeah and it, I, feel, I feel like what you bring up now it, this is really a question of what the tools are that are available i think we need to talk about tools directly because i don't want to accuse you of having a lack of imagination but just imagine <laughs> um if the data because i'm a data scientist so like i know how hard it is to parse a podcast and to know who this podcast would be good for, but imagine that were possible. And then, you know, the iTunes podcast would actually have good recommendations for people. That would make the popularity of podcasts Yeah, much, I want to nuzzle brighter. for podcast episodes, you know. I want to be able to listen to a podcast of just individual episodes which have been curated for me rather than having to subscribe to a whole podcast. Well, I think this also comes down to how things are curated because everything is still based on the channel. It's everything is curated. It's a recommendation is, oh, you like startup, you might like cereal. Right. Well, that's saying like I, you like ABC, you might like Fox. You know, it's, it's not a great way to curate. And I think, Alex, I'm, go I'm going to come back to you in one second. But this is the perfect opportunity for me to plug the Panoply Network here <laughs> because there is another organization here which isn't Gimlet Media and isn't Spoken Layer. It's called Panoply. You've 
heard me plug it before. We have many podcasts. It includes all of the Slate podcasts and lots of other ones, including Vulture TV. Hi, I'm Matt Zoller-Seitz, Vulture's TV critic. On this week's episode of the Vulture TV podcast, Vulture's TV editor, Gazelle Mommy, Vulture TV columnist, Margaret Lyons, and I are going to discuss the most shocking moment in television so far this year and the tortured existence of NBC's weirdly brilliant comedy community. You'll find the Vulture TV podcast at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. But Alex, yes, what were you saying? Well, I think, I I mean, I think if I could just join on your plug of Panoply, which is a great idea, and, like, you've got a lot of great programs in Panoply, and I think right now what's happening is sort of, like, companies are forming to, to fill the void that technology is leaving. Like, there is a way of sort of, like, having technology serve a curatorial function so far, nobody's doing that, and so we're doing that, and you guys are doing that. We're we're saying like we want Gimlet shows to be like, sort of like HBO. You know, if like if generally I might not watch a vampire movie show, but like if it's a vampire show on HBO, maybe I'll check it out. You know, because it's on HBO, so it's got like some sort of stamp. But I think the the sort of like what is the analog to podcasting is a really good question. Is the analog something more digital and shareable and like? blog and article-like, or is the analog something more sort of like old-school network TV media? And I think that's a big question. And I think sort of without knowing it, just because like I'm old and this is sort of the way I've thought about it and so far it's working, is I sort of think of these as, as programs, programming. And, and like we're launching seasons, you know, we call it seasons. And we're hoping that we are producing programs that people feel compelled to return on a regular basis and the, like the same way you watch a show on TV, you're going to listen to a podcast. And I think that might be one way that it works. I don't think it's going to be the only way though. Like I think there is going to be a, a, a myriad of ways to receive audio and the same way there's a myriad of ways to receive video now, you know, like a lot of people, young people aren't watching TV the same way, you know? So. Well, talk, talk about some of these myriad of ways to receive audio because you've made a deliberate decision to basically not deal with Apple at all, right? Yeah, so we actually uh, don't distribute content to Apple um, at the moment and to the podcast You networks. could if you wanted to, but you've decided not to. Is that because of the data issue? Uh, it started out with a focus on data-rich sources, native implementations, working with some uh, podcast providers that capture that data because they're um, native experiences. But, you know, it's not to say we won't start distributing to those places because we there's obviously a much larger user base. But the fact that we've already been able to see such success in those places of doing, you know, millions and millions of downloads a month. Within. And so well, what are these places? How do you distribute this audio of yours? So currently we focus on three places. So natively on the site itself, wherever the publisher exists, time.com, Smithsonian, Ozzy, you know, those guys. Uh, we work with Stitcher um, distributing there because we can get some pretty interesting data from that. And also Audioboom um, is one of the other providers we work and with And Stitcher is built into Deezer, technically. cars, right? <laughs> it is. So I feel, I feel like this is one part of this podcast I need to talk about because I think it's changing the whole economics of podcasting is cars. Yeah, the connected car is like the holy grail of like mm-hmm. getting in the car and becoming part of that commute is something that has always been sought after. I don't know if there's a direct solution for it, but I think it's really important to get to. Alex, yeah. do you have any kind of gut feel for how important cars are to your business? Oh, I mean, I, I can't remember what exactly the number is, but it's some sort of massive percentage of radio listening is done in the car. 
you know, and if radio listening is going to sort of migrate digitally the same way that everything else is migrated digitally, then that I would imagine that's that's going to just stay the same. So yeah, most by far the vast majority of radio listening is done in the car, and I would imagine that the vast majority of digital listening is going to happen in the car as well, at least until we get fully driverless, and then everyone's just going to be watching TV everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's those that massive content base there. They're connected, they're content hungry, and they're captive. Like, but they also don't there. they don't want to use their hands. Right. Right. So that's where like the twenty five minute podcast is actually gonna have an advantage over the two minute clips, right? Yep. Well, unless you put them in a stream and just let them keep going like oh, the infinite okay. scroll of audio. Just let them keep I, going. I, right. I, but I think it's also just sort of like what's better, you know, a long article or, or a short article or a book or an article or a book or a book. They all have their place. Post. Like they all have their place. And I feel like you know, people talk about podcasts as if they're all one thing. And it's like saying, did you watch that video? And you could be talking about like a video that you put up on YouTube of, you know, your baby, or you could be talking about Game of Thrones. Like nobody calls it Game of Thrones a video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Game of Thrones is a television show that's on TV, but they're both video. They're both the same medium, yet there's just yeah, such a diversity there. There's a diversity there. And I think in, in podcasting and audio is the same thing. Like there's like, you know, there's a huge range of what we think about it, and to try to shoehorn everything into the sort of same use case, I think is, 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 a, is a problem. You know, I don't think that it's not realistic. In any case, talking about cars, I'm going to have an ad about cars. While you're listening to your podcast in your car your car should be listening to you is that is that weird your car should be listening to how hard you're braking to how fast you're driving to how hard you're accelerating and it should be able to give you feedback it should be able to say hey chill out you could save gas if you do this or congratulations you're driving awesomely and keep on doing that your car should be able to tell you what it means when your check engine light comes on, your car should be able to explain in English what is going on. You know, your car should be able to communicate with your phone so that you can clear that light from your phone if it's a small problem. Your car should ha- should be able to give you a log of all of your trips. Your car should tell you where it is. This is a good one. Your car should be, should be able to give you your parking location so you don't lose your car. And... Your car should call for help if you're in a crash and will, you know, talk to a human and will stay on the line and make sure that help arrives. And what else? Your car, because this is technology, right? Your car should connect to Google Docs and Twitter and Evernote and corporate expense management services, you know, to make sure that you get reimbursed for your mileage correctly rather than like certain... um, Republican Congress people who don't seem to be able, be able to add up their mileage. You, your car should be able to just be part of the Internet of Things. If it's connected to podcasts, it should be able to be connected to your phone and to everything. And thanks to our sponsor, Automatic, your car can do all of that. This thing, this amazing Internet of Things gizmo gadget is normally ninety nine ninety five. It's normally a hundred bucks, but for you, you get it for eighty because we are awesome and you are awesome. You just go to automatic.com/money. You will get this thing in two business days, and if you don't like it, send it back. You have forty-five days return policy, free shipping, no subscription fees. It's just eighty bucks. That's it. Go to automatic.com/money and you get this. Your car becomes smart, even if it's a 
2004 Subaru like mine. I also want to talk about the mechanics here, because I think a lot of people who listen to podcasts, um, myself included, don't really understand what goes on. I One of the things I was struck with, Alex, in your startup podcast was the huge number of people or seemingly quite large number of people that you have who are full-time employees of Gimlet Media and you had a whole episode about how they were incredibly overworked and were staying up until 4.30 in the morning and was completely stressed out and as far as anyone could see all that they were doing was putting out 20 minutes of audio once a week and so what I want to know (laughs) is because you know you can have lunch and get 20 minutes of audio in 20 minutes so what is going on here that is so much work why why is this so difficult and and labor intensive yeah i mean so that's i guess that's what i'm getting at in the sort of all the different kinds of podcasts and different kinds of use cases is that so i come from the tradition of this american life where we had a staff of whatever 12 that was putting out 30 hours a year and so what you're doing is you know, you're going out and you're like sort of like you're deciding, is this a good story or not? And you spend a lot of time talking about it. Is it a good story or not? And sometimes you go out and you sort of report on it and you interview people and then you end up saying like, no, it's actually not a good story. And then you kill it. And then you finally get a good story and then you go out and do the tape and then you cut the tape and then you write the script and then you read it aloud to a couple of people. And then once you've read it aloud, the first time they say, well, this part was boring and this part was dragging and can you do this part again? And then you go and do it again, and then you read it aloud again, and then you finally mix it, and then you got to put in the music, and then you listen to the mix of the music. And all this stuff takes time because you're talking in real time, and like people are talking in real time. And so, you know, you can spend a lot of time doing anything, but it's like, you know, it's very labored over. And it's a totally different exercise and than a lot of other podcasts where you're just sort of like, you know, you're having a conversation and maybe you're lightly editing it or aggressively editing it or not editing it. I just want to just mention that I feel distinctly undistilled right now <laughs> compared to right. that description. Well, this is, so this is where we're going to move down the spectrum and we're going to bring in regular subscribers to this podcast will know that I often thank Stan Alcorn, who is the producer of this podcast. So this is where Stan Alcorn actually comes on the podcast and tells us what on earth he does when he produces this podcast. Well, this is definitely not the This American Life Gimlet Media level of work. I mean, this podcast takes, I would say, a day of work altogether, including mm-hmm. the setting up the recording, if you think about different emails and things done in advance, and then the couple of hours that it takes to edit this conversation down. I had a pretty aggressive writer to get me on the program. Like, I think <laughs> I didn't have those, those bottles of Crystal done by themselves. Well, it, it is true that, that Alex did pull a little bit of a diva fit, and he is beaming in technologically from Brooklyn to Manhattan because, <laughs> because he's, you know, like, we, we beam people in when they're in foreign countries, but this is the first time that we've beamed someone in from a foreign borough. You know, in many ways, Brooklyn is a foreign country to Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Will, is... is on 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 the on the scale from Stan to Alex, where where is where is your content? Uh, Even I, lower? Oh, significantly lower. I, I'm I'm trying to think of like an analogy of like the difference between Stan and Alex. Maybe you know what you said, Stan is let's say about a day of work, and um, Alex, I think you're saying about maybe a week to two weeks of work. Is that yeah. a fair? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas ours is seven to fifteen minutes of work, right, to produce a segment. 
Um, so that's that's it's a very different scale. So what a segment. So that you can might be... ask, why are we doing it the way we're doing? It? So, 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 yeah. so this, is a, this is a very valid question. Yeah, um, Alex, is there reason to believe that putting weeks of work into a twenty-minute podcast rather than twenty minutes of work into a twenty-minute podcast is worth it? Caveat, though, on my part, we don't create the content. So you guys are creating original content. We don't have to do the work of creating content. We start with pretty much you a are, 99% good enough script. You are parasitical on other people's work. Yeah. Well, that's one way to say we, we could say we're accelerating it into another medium, <laughs> but, you know, that, we can be a parasite as well. The value adding. We're adding value. No, so, so somebody else spent the weeks of sort of honing and crafting the article that then is, is, is getting read aloud, which I feel like is part of it. Is it worth it? Like, what is the evidence? Well, so... I don't know. There's no real data. So far, it's working so far. Like, we're, we're close to making back our money on individual podcasts, or, or, or we are more than making back our money on some of them. So that, like, if you can get to an audience that is big enough, then you're profitable. And the question is sort of like, if you take all this time and try to hone, does it actually result in the higher chances of a bigger audience? Um, and that's the bet that we're making, that yes, it, it does. Um, the examples are like if you look at the top 10 on iTunes, they're all stories that have been highly polished and highly buffed and highly agonized over. Um, you know, this American Life Radio Lab, Serial, Invisibilia, and that take a long time to produce. So, but that results in sort of like audiences in the millions and not audiences in the thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And then, and then of course, there's one other group of employees who don't do mixing or editing or transcribing or speaking or anything and that's everyone on the business side who actually brings in the money how many how many of those do you have alex we have one of those one of those my co-founder matt we are entirely an editorial shop because we feel like there is you know so far the launches of our two shows that have been these highly produced Versions have resulted in large enough audience that's worthwhile, and so we're trying to make more of those. And we are, in some ways, outsourcing the business side of it. Like, we're partnering with people with sales teams. Um, you know, there's a company called The Midroll, uh, which you guys know about, which is another podcast network, and it also is, a, is an ad sales network um, that we've partnered with to help sell ads. But even your ads are, you know, particularly polished and well-produced compared to the kind of crappy ads, you know, that, that one might hear on a podcast not a million miles away from this one. I don't know. I feel like I'm not very good at making ads. I'm not as good at selling sponsors as you are. Well, like, Felix, don't forget that people like the intimacy. <laughs> yes. Um, how about you, Will? How many how many revenue producers do you have at Spoken Land? Um, so similar to Alex, we work with some external partners as well to do on the monetization side. What we're really focused on is very much being a technology company. Um, I think that's different. We have uh, significantly more technology-focused people on our team than editorial. Um, we have only about three or four people that are editorial, and the rest are really all technology development um, and that side of the business, which is very different. Oh, I forgot about that. You're taking VC money, aren't you, Alex? So does that mean you have to at least nod in the general direction of being a technology company? Um, so far, no. Uh, we, have, we don't have a. We have money from a number of different, you know, investors, and not all of them are VC. Very few of them are actually VC. And so, I mean, this is like sort of like uh, an existential question that has come up throughout this process, and it sort of continues to sort of like we we wrestle with. But we. We're at this stage, certainly, we're a media content company. Like, that's what we are. We're doing a very, very old fashioned thing, and we're trying to, like, sort of tell interesting stories in interesting ways. And, like, 
that's sort of the tradition I come from. That's what I'm best at. And I feel like if the brass ring for us is sort of like a future of mega hits along the lines of serial, I feel like I have that's going to be really hard and almost impossible, but like more possible for me given my skill set than sort of making the next killer app. And so, you know, it seems like that's the brass ring that we should be going for. Yeah, and I think we're we're the we're the flip side of that. We hope there are amazing content like what Alex is producing, and even you know working with that. But we really see the technology side of it and how those can be paired together. And I think that's where there's the synergies between the companies like Alex's, like the HBOs of the world that produce this amazing content. But there's also this whole network of how does that content get to people? Where are they? What's the content they want to consume? And I think that's where our focus often is: is how do we get a brand, whether that's Alex's brand and Gimlet, or whether that's Time.com, to the right people where where they are and where they want to listen. And and this is this is the point in the podcast at which I say that Panoply, you know, remember them, the other podcast network. They we are actually hiring a, a salesperson here. So if you have digital sales experience and you're into this kind of discussion and you love podcasts and all things audio, then hiring at panoply.fm. Hold Let on, us know hey, who Felix. You are. Can I do this for you? Yes. So tell me what the jobs are. It's a sales guy. You're just, we, or yeah, a sales you're just, woman, let me, let me do this. Person. Let me do this. All right. <laughs> okay. First of all, I have to announce Slate has this amazing network of podcasts. We've partnered with some of the best content creators out there. It's called Panoply. You have to check it out because there are so many things that you want to listen to. If you imagine the smartest, best people out there that produce the best things that you love and they all have podcasts that you want to listen to, that is Panoply. So definitely check it out. And... Would you like to work in that organization? Of course you would. We're hiring. Where do they go, Felix? Sales. Sales. Okay, good. How do they get the job? They send an email to hiring at panoply.fm. There you go. With a resume. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't include a resume, then that's, that's like a bull's out move right there. But you know, <laughs> feel free to not include your resume if, if, you, if you're that way inclined. Just a LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you, though, like, wh- what's your philosophy of podcasting? Like, what do you think is the opportunity? Why are you doing the podcast you're doing? What's, tell me about it. The, the absolutely true answer to that question is I'm doing this podcast because Jacob Weisberg and David Plotz took me out to lunch about a year or 18 months ago. And I, in a fit of enthusiasm, which was largely a function of the quality of the Japanese food we were eating at the time, said, of course I'll do a podcast. That sounds like loads of fun. And then once I said that, I'd committed. And Jacob was very sweet and sent me a bunch of wine over the months until the wine dried up. But yeah, I'm, I find it enjoyable and I do like the the kind of one-to-one connection that I feel with with the people who listen to this podcast when people come up to me and say I listen to your podcast they know me and my feelings and I feel like there's a conversation there and I feel like I'm reaching people in a way that I don't when I'm just writing an explainer about Greece mm-hmm. yeah totally like people always come up to me and they say I feel like I know you and they're sort of embarrassed about it and like it's understandable but like it's actually sort of true that you probably do know me uh, because like I've shared a lot <laughs> you know like I've told you if you're listening to the podcast a lot of very sort of intimate things and you you've listened to me and you know my quirks and you know the way I talk and it's the same thing with you like people it is this very you know sort of authentic medium you know you can hear when people are BSing and, and you can hear when they're not I feel like we should have more of Felix's quirks uh, every every episode <laughs> I, I agree. Sweet. 
Okay, we'll we'll try and quirk it up somehow. This is, <laughs> this is Stan's job since, since he's the producer. Um, need some sound effect buttons, maybe. Twenty percent. I'm Jim Cramer with with little buttons I can press. Going. <laughs> okay, so we are going to wrap this up with the numbers round as ever. But first, I just want to ask both Alex and Will to get out their crystal balls and just tell me. How long has it taken to get to this stage? And, you know, are we on a hockey stick if we reach some kind of inflection point that digital audio media is going to start growing much, much more quickly or becoming much, much bigger? Or has that already started? Tell me where we're going in the next few years, um, Will. So I think what's happened in the past really year or two is digital audio has become cognizant in the kind of more public eye. It's been around for a while, but audio listening has been part of who we are as humans. Um, it's storytelling. And it's something that's baked into who we are emotionally and physically. Um, and I think that's just starting to come out. But now there's this massive shift of print media changing, terrestrial media changing, and that's all got to shift somewhere. And I think digital audio is going to be the place where that goes. So I think we're just kind of seeing the first tide. And I think there's going to be a whole lot more coming in the next couple of years, especially with connected devices. Alex. Yeah, when I when I was going around pitching, you know, the idea of this company, I was saying like, you know, like, and I didn't fully believe myself when I was saying it, but I was saying one day, you know, podcast audiences are going to rival TV audiences, and I thought, you know, I thought that that would be years from now. You know, I thought we'd get up and running, and we'd be able to like sort of get up to like tens or hundreds of thousands of, you know, listeners if we were lucky, and that like one day far in the future we'd get to millions. And then you know, a week or two after we launched startup. Serial comes along, gets, you know, is over a million. Other shows come along, get over millions. So it seems to me, it's like, it's certainly taken me by surprise how fast that happened. Uh, it seems to be indicative of something that it feels like an inflection point. Now, I have, you know, I'm deeply, deeply in my own bubble of like having started a company that would very much like there to be an inflection point. So take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, it feels that way. You're here. <laughs> so with, with that, like talking of books and hey, you know, when we have guests on, they always talk there, but usually in a little bit of a more literal way, they actually have a book to plug. But, <laughs> um, but we will um, we will move on to the numbers round because I feel like this group of people is going to come up with some awesome numbers. Alex, you brought a number to this taping. I did bring a number to the taping. I am going to tell you what it is right now. That number is three. Uh, and that is the um, additional hours per day that people can listen to podcasts that they would not have previously listened to AM and FM radio because of their smartphones. So this is like, that's basically, there's three hours a day working out, doing chores, shopping, all that stuff that where your hands are occupied, you can't be reading or watching, but you can be listening. And now because you have a smartphone, that's available to you. So that's a, an important three hours a day that I think for, for both Will and myself, we're, we're sort of yes. depending on those three hours. <laughs> we always talk about it as the bookends of the day. You have that kind of hour and change, an hour and change at the beginning and the end of the day where you can interact in a way you couldn't before. Do people set, you know their alarms in the morning to a podcast? Is that something people do? Because I feel that's where people listen to it. <laughs> Sounds like a great <laughs> app. <laughs> it's the podcast alarm. It's all about the tools. I hear all the time that people like listen to the podcast the way they read a book. Like They'll put the podcast on as they're going to bed and they'll listen to it and then they fall asleep and then they pick up where they stop falling asleep. Which I'm always like, am I putting you to sleep? But they're like, no, no, no. It's like when you read a book before bed, that's how it is. So that's definitely happening. Speaking of that, you know, you my, yes. my friends, some of my friends who listen to the, this podcast tell me they never quite get to the numbers round because they're asleep by then. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so I'll just is, say is that this. a compliment or is that a? <laughs> I think it is. We 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 are, we are mellifluous. Yeah. Well, I'll just very Every, quietly yeah. say my number so as not to wake anyone. Don't wake, ever wake anyone up with your number, Gabby. <laughs> my number has nothing to do with podcasts. I hope that's okay. It's 1.4 million. That's the number of people in Ireland that uh, were suffering from enforced deprivation in 2013. And I bring that up because you've probably heard about the uh, demonstrations against the new water tax in Ireland, which I'm thinking about. My people. What is enforced deprivation? That means that they're like lacking two or more basic requirements for comfortable living. Like, you know, they don't have heating or they don't have adequate food or a warm winter coat or something like that. And Ireland is not a big country. Over a million people. It's 30%. Large chunks of Irish population. It's 31%. Crazy. People forget how poor chunks of Western Europe, even even like rich countries. Ireland is a rich country. Um, My number is... One million. It's a Bill Ackman number because Bill Ackman is one of our favorite characters on this show. Activist, hedge fund manager, who's had this long-running feud with a lawyer called Marty Lipton, who doesn't like activist investors because he represents the companies that activist investors are activists against. And Bill Ackman had lunch with Bill Cohen, who is a writer for Vanity Fair. And one of the things that Ackman has wanted to do for a long time is have a public debate with Marty Lipton about activist investing. And what Cohen said was, well, Marty Lipton is on the board of NYU. If you promised to give $100 million to NYU, then he would listen to you and would probably have a debate. And Ackman had the most Ackman-esque response you can possibly imagine to this, which was not, um, sure, I'll give $100 million to NYU or... Uh, what are you joking? You know, I'm not going to give $100 million to NYU. But he turned, He decided he was going to try and turn it into a bet. And he reduced the stakes by two orders of magnitude. And he said, I will put up $1 million, which will go to NYU if Marty wins the debate. On the other hand, at the same time, Marty, who has much less money than Bill Agman, also has to put up a $1 million. So that if <laughs> he loses the debate, then he, that goes to one of my favorite charities. And it all became this like weird binary option thing which you know only Bill Ackman could have thought of and I love <laughs> the way that he he pulled that um, Will so uh, my number is 1.87 billion dollars which is how much was made in streaming audio last year and surpassed CDs which is an interesting that's revenues mm-hmm. streaming audio revenues were 1.87 billion and that's mostly Pandora and Spotify I think it's mostly dominated by music um, but yeah it's just the fact that that digital medium is actually hit that inflection point of surpassing a print is kind of a, or the equivalent of print in uh, the audio world, I think is quite interesting. That's, we're, we're in a multi-billion dollar economy. I have to say when I record this podcast, I don't feel like I'm in the multi-billion dollar economy. <laughs> I don't know, this is a pretty swanky studio. <laughs> right. Can we, speaking of that, can we bring Ackman onto a, our podcast? I will, I will invite him on. That would be a fun That'd podcast. That'd be swanky. I, I feel yeah. like that could, that could hit records for downloads. There's lots of Ackman fans and foes out there who would love to listen to that podcast was is he he's the herbalife guy right yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah 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 he was he's on the awesome. planet money podcast he's yeah he's good he's like a character oh and God. of course alex and i know all about bets yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> because we recorded the whole podcast once about a bet which i have outstanding with ben horowitz from anderson horowitz um, that's right, that's right. <laughs> when is that bet when does that bet come due I don't know. We're going to have to 
rummage into the planet yeah, we money should listen files back and, and find out. Yeah, find out when that's. You, you you do have a reminder in your calendar. Oh God! You, I hope you do. Anyway, because I don't. <laughs> anyway, it all that remains is for me to thank you all. This has been a super fun episode, Meta Podcast. Um, thank you all listeners for listening to Slate Money and the podcast, po- podcast, podcast, and subscribe to the podcast, podcast, which won't be the podcast, podcast, it'll just be the Slate Money podcast. Um, we but are, wait, or we, isn't it a group of podcasts? Because one podcast is also a group of podcasts. It's true. It gets confusing where in the iTunes store and you find iTunes.com slash panoply, where you find not only the podcast, podcast, but Slate Money podcast and Inc. podcast and the ethicists podcast and it gets confusing i feel like we need a technological solution to help us cut through all of this but in any case leave us reviews write to us slate money at slate.com many thanks to the multi-talented stan alcon and i have to say if you enjoyed this podcast do read his canonical article on dig.com about why audio doesn't go viral he more or less nailed the entire thing and no one needs to write that article again because Stan (laughs) has already written it Um, thanks also to Joel Meyer the managing producer who does podcasty things which we don't understand and to Andy Bowers who's the executive producer who does podcasty things which we don't understand but we know it's lots of work and they probably stay up until 4.30 in the morning Um, thank you for listening and We will talk to you next week on Slate Money.